an ongoing search operation. Police, the community police, neighborhood watch, the police dive unit have been involved um, and are continuing to do parts of, of the search operation. The police canine search and rescue, the AMS, EMS, SkyMed helicopter that assisted on, uh, on Thursday. So it's a lot of different aspects to the search, but it remains unknown what has happened to the female. That statement was given to the news media by Craig Lambanon, spokesperson for the National Sea Rescue Institute in April 2018. He was reporting on the search, which had been undertaken for a missing Norwegian tourist in the coastal town of Sedgefield, South Africa. That tourist was 21-year-old Marie Ostbo. She walked out onto a beach for a pre-dinner stroll and disappeared without a trace. Welcome to True Crime South Africa. I'm your host, Nicole Engelbrecht, and this is case file number two, The Unsolved Disappearance of Marie Ostbo. Marie Ostbo was 21 years old at the time of her disappearance. Photographs of her show a blonde-haired girl with a constantly smiling face. I can imagine it being easy to strike up a conversation with Marie. Her open face is welcoming. At times, I get the slightest hint of the bashfulness that often comes with youth, but those flickers are brief, and in the next photo or video, she's all confidence and joy again. Marie is Norwegian. Her family hail from the coastal city of Stavanger, which is described as still having a small-town feel to its city centre despite having a population of 135,000 people and its own international airport. Marie's family consists of an older sister, Helene, her father, Atla, and her mother, Anna. In 2016, Marie started studying political sciences at the University of Toulouse in France, which her sister also attended. Set at the foot of the Pyrenees mountain range, Toulouse attracts many international students, which is evident in the wide range of nationalities that Marie interacted with there. Her choice of studies seems to reflect her character, as her father describes her as, quote, a beautiful person who has a burning heart for those who do not feel so good in society, end quote. It is rare for a person of Marie's age to be as conscious about the inequities in society as she seems to be, and it makes her sudden and inexplicable disappearance even more tragic. Marie is also a clear animal lover, with several pictures showing her interacting with her own pets, and she often took pictures of random dogs she would see on her travels. Marie's family, by her father Atla's own admission, spent a significant amount of time at the ocean or at one of the five lakes in the Stavanger district, boating or simply enjoying coastline adventures. Atla insists that his daughter knew the ocean and how dangerous it could be, which makes the nature of her disappearance all the more mystifying. Marie is extremely well-traveled, having spent time in London, Morocco, Andorra, Greece, and of course her homeland of Norway and study home of France. She is, no doubt, seasoned in the risks of travelling to unknown destinations. Had she been an inexperienced youngster on her first trip away from the safety net of home, 
the events that followed may have been vaguely explicable, at the very least in terms of the many ways an inexperienced tourist can find themselves in risky situations. This was not the case with Marie, but the stamps in her passport did not protect her from what would befall her on her first visit to South Africa. From the information available, Marie and her travel companions appear to have arrived in Cape Town, South Africa, on or shortly before Sunday the 15th of April 2018. She is pictured at Table Mountain National Park on this day, her hair flying wildly in the characteristic Cape winds. The next day, the group moved on to the Boulders Beach near Simonstown on the Cape Peninsula, which is known for its penguin colony. The last picture I could find posted to Marie's social media accounts was on the 16th of April. It is taken in Chance Bay, a sleepy fishing town, 170 kilometers from Simonstown. The photograph is a silhouette in the sunset of Marie and two of her female travel companions. I was unable to determine where the group stayed over on the 17th of April, but they are recorded as having arrived in Sedgefield at 5.30 on the afternoon of the 18th of April 2018. Sedgefield is a quiet seaside town, situated between George and Neisner. It is relatively low in violent crime and a popular tourist destination, especially on the garden route tour. Marie's group was booked to stay in the Afro Vibe Backpackers and planned to eat dinner that night at Pili Pili Beach Restaurant and Bar, with group members having been requested to meet at 7 o'clock. Marie definitely arrived at Pili Pili because the second last photograph that would be taken of her shows her on the bar's balcony, overlooking the beach trail she would shortly walk down. She leans against the balcony banister, relaxed and happy. On the table next to her, her iPhone is plugged into a power bank, perhaps charging for photographs she intended to take before dinner. Moments after that photograph was taken, at 10 past 6, Marie is reported to have followed a couple, also from her tour group, down onto the beach for a walk. There's no confirmation of whether any other tour members joined the walk, but all knew that they needed to be back for dinner in 40 minutes. Pili Pili Beach and Restaurant Bar is located on the popular Maoli Beach. Marie and the couple would have walked down a flight of stairs, across a small stretch of the parking lot and onto the beach path. It is indicated that although they left the restaurant within minutes of each other, the couple and Marie were not walking together. By the time Marie reached the beach, the wind, which was a precursor for a large storm moving in, had already started whipping up sand, and the couple stated that they didn't walk on the beach for more than a few minutes, as it was unpleasant. On their way back to the path, they passed Marie, who was sitting in the sand facing the sea. They didn't communicate with her at all, but indicate that as they reached the top of a dune, and presumably seeing an opportune photo moment for their fellow traveller, they took a picture of Marie from the back. This would be the last photograph of Marie Ostbo before she disappeared. From this account, and this is by no means an exact calculation, we can determine that Marie disappeared between half past six and ten to seven on the evening of the 18th of April, 2018. At 11 minutes past seven, when Marie had not returned from the beach for dinner, her travel companions became concerned and tried to phone her. Their calls went unanswered. The tour operator went down to an emergency number board which is posted at the entrance to the beach path and called the National Sea Rescue Institute, or NSRI, emergency number. 
there is little information about the exact actions taken by the members of the tour group on having discovered Marie's disappearance. One would assume that a natural reaction would be to rush down to the beach to see whether Marie had perhaps fallen and hurt an ankle, for instance. While it is possible that this may have occurred, there is no public record of it. Perhaps the falling darkness and brewing storm prevented anyone but trained rescue personnel from searching. The beach area past the path entrance is relatively flat, so it could have taken nothing more than a cursory glance in either direction to ascertain that Marie was not in the immediate vicinity. The National Sea Rescue Institute is a South African voluntary non-profit organization which has over 1,000 volunteers equipped with rescue craft, quad bikes and vehicles. On receiving the call regarding Marie's disappearance, the NSRI contacted Sedgefield Community Orientated Policing, or COP, and requested they attend to conduct ground searches while the NSRI crews covered the water. The search commenced at 32 minutes past 7. The South African Police Service arrived at the scene shortly after that, and while detectives took statements from Marie's companions and other patrons of the restaurant, the canine unit began to scour the breadth of Maioli Beach and its surrounds. While I do not have any expert knowledge in terms of searches of this nature, I don't believe the reaction from any of the organizations involved can be faulted. In terms of extent and promptness, the immediate search in these early and crucial hours appears to have been thorough. Door-to-door -door inquiries were held, line searches through construction sites and open land, Surrounding roads were searched, and all bodies of water, including the lagoon, were thoroughly covered. The conditions under which the search was initially held were far less than ideal. The storm had completely made land at that point, and the searchers could barely hear one another above the howling wind. Visibility was poor, and the water search was hampered by extremely rough seas. Just after midnight, searchers recovered a cell phone, a pair of shoes, and a hat lying in the sand. Many reports have stated that these items were neatly placed on the ground, but this is inaccurate. The items were found as much as two meters apart, and while they may have been blown there by the wind from their original position, their placement could be better described as scattered. The phone was still working, and was quickly identified as belonging to Marie, as were the shoes. In the further points of inaccurate reporting in some publications, the hat that was found near these items was initially said to have belonged to Marie, it did not. Considering the location and the weather conditions, it is quite possible that the hat was blown there from another location. It is, after all, not uncommon to find misplaced items of clothing at the beach. There is also a distinct possibility that the hat is somehow of evidentiary value and it was collected as such by the SAPS. By 2 o'clock on the morning of the 19th of April, the search was temporarily suspended so that the volunteers could rest and it was restarted four and a half hours later, at half past six in the morning. In the days that followed Marie's disappearance, the number of organizations and volunteers grew tremendously, with a local motorized paraglider even adding his services to the mix by scouring the coastline for four days. The official missing poster is said to have only been released almost five days after Marie's disappearance. It initially contained an unfortunate, inaccurate description of the clothing she was last seen wearing. Marie was last seen in a dark floral print top and black long pants, but due to the CCTV camera in the restaurant parking lot using infrared when it was not yet completely dark, 
her clothing was reported as a white t-shirt and blue jeans. This is still incorrect on some missing posters I have seen. Certain media outlets reported, in the early days of her disappearance, that Marie's camera was missing from the scene as well. It was, in fact, found by the SAPS in her room at the Backpackers. Six days after Marie's disappearance, on the 24th of April, the police announced that due to restrained resources, they would need to scale down the search. The search was eventually called off completely after no evidence of Marie's location or fate had been discovered. CCTV footage from the area around where Marie disappeared was viewed by police. We know that Marie was seen walking out towards Maoli Beach. Police also identified and interviewed a man walking his dog seen entering the beach path around that time as well and a fisherman and two men seen on camera talking to Marie. The police claim that the latter have been interviewed and cleared as not being involved. It would be interesting to know what those two men discussed with Marie that night, as it may give us more information about events or her state of mind. Locals are known for being very friendly, so it does not strike me as strange that the men may have greeted or briefly chatted to a pretty young girl on her own. Perhaps they asked her whether she was okay or needed directions. Perhaps they discussed the severe weather pulling in and warned Marie to be careful. The dog walker interests me, as we know Marie is a dog lover, and I wonder whether she wouldn't have tried to engage with him. It would be beneficial to understand the timelines of when these various people entered the beach path or encountered Marie, as considering the beach is rather flat once you get on it, these individuals would have had to get onto the beach and a significant distance away in a relatively short space of time to have not seen what happened to Marie. Of course I'm sure that the police have already put all these pieces together in their investigation. I must point out that I am very impressed with the reaction of the Norwegian authorities and media to Marie's disappearance. Perhaps it is not uncommon in the case of a missing tourist, but I find it astounding that Norway's serious crimes unit came to South Africa to conduct an investigation of their own. It has been stated that the local police assisted and welcomed them. I'm sure that this may have been driven to some extent by Marie's family. They are 14,000 kilometers away and have no knowledge of our local law enforcement. I am sure that they wanted to be certain, for their own peace of mind, that all avenues had been properly considered. The Norwegian media also visited South Africa in the days after Marie's disappearance. One of the most shocking things for me in this case was the huge amount of misinformation produced especially by some of the members of the South African media. Incorrect information included the location of her camera, the manner in which her phone and shoes were found, and even the assumption that the hat found belonged to Marie when there was no evidence to point to that. Many journalists even misspelled Marie's surname. This is very unprofessional in my opinion, when Facebook is a quick and easy way to ascertain the correct spelling. Marie's father also expressed his frustration at the large amount of factually incorrect information that is being spread. Marie is now being missing for more than a year, and we are seemingly no closer to understanding her disappearance. In the months that followed her disappearance, the inevitable theories developed, and false stories spread like wildfire on various social media forums. One story claimed that Marie was seen in the northwest province of South Africa. Another social media user, whose profile has striking characteristics of a fake profile, claims that she is living with a boyfriend in Woodstock. Yet another claimed that her body had washed up in a beach in wilderness. All of these claims 
have been investigated and proven to be false. Before I get into the theories behind Marie's disappearance, I would like to discuss something strange that I noticed during my research. Early on, I noticed that many members of the public were questioning whether Marie's travel companions were strangers or friends. From the evidence I found during my research, as well as a comment made by Atla Ospo in the Norwegian media, we can confidently say that at least one and very possibly two of the girls traveling with Marie were good friends of hers. The girls, one of Mexican descent and the other a Dane, are pictured with Marie in trips to several other countries, and Atla described the young Mexican lady as being, quote, a close friend, end quote. With this in mind, I considered another question that has been raised by a few people. Marie's companions were strangely quiet after her disappearance. No statements were publicly made by her friends. During my research, I relied heavily on social media feeds to piece together a timeline, and I picked up an interesting trend. Both of the companions I mentioned have relatively active social media accounts. But for the period directly after Marie's disappearance, until around the beginning of May 2018, there is no activity. This trend continued when I viewed the social media pages of two of the locations Marie had visited in Sedgefield. These are extremely active business pages, but during the aforementioned period, there is nothing. I'm not alluding to a conspiracy theory here at all, but I believe it is possible that these individuals and establishments were instructed to delete the posts they had made during this period. I may be stretching, but perhaps there were either tips placed in the comments on those posts that the authorities are still actively investigating, or perhaps there is information available to the companions that is being withheld from the general public because it forms part of the investigation. This may not be the case at all, but it is very strange to me that two girls at least one of which was described as a close friend, would not use their go-to platforms to help raise awareness to their friend's disappearance, unless they were told not to. I really hope that this is the case, and that the police have instructed these parties to remove certain posts, as that could mean that they have evidence worth investigating. There have been three predominant theories expressed in this case. The first is that Marie somehow got into the water and drowned, the second is that she intended to walk into the water in a bid to end her life and was successful. The third is that Marie was abducted and is either still being held somewhere in South Africa or may have been trafficked overseas or murdered by her abductor and her body is yet to be found. Let's have a deeper look into these theories with the evidence we have available. An accidental drowning. Marie's family have strongly refuted this theory and criticized the South African police service for immediately assuming she had drowned and not taking the possibility that she had been abducted seriously sooner. Craig Lambanon of the NSRI confirmed that while there has been speculation that Marie drowned, there is no evidence to prove she went in the water. As I've mentioned before, Marie was very familiar with the ocean and its dangers. Atla Ospo said in an interview, quote, I'm sure that Marie would never have taken a bath in the ocean. That was one of the theories they worked on. End quote. He also said, quote, I have known from the first moment when I got a phone call from Sea Rescue that Marie would never have done it. She would not have left that position voluntarily. End quote. Many have tried to use the fact that her shoes were removed as proof that she intended to go into the sea. I don't agree with this. 
It is far more likely that as she arrived on the beach sand, she removed her shoes at that time to avoid getting sand into them and carried them in her hand as she walked. She could just as easily have taken them off when she sat down in the sand, in the position the couple had last seen her, to be comfortable or simply to feel the sand between her toes. She could just as easily have taken them off when she sat down in the sand, in the position the couple had last seen her, to be comfortable or simply to feel the sand between her toes. It makes no sense to me, considering she was about to go back to the restaurant and have dinner with her friends, that she would decide to wade into the water and risk having to sit with wet clothing for the rest of the night. The sea temperature is also a factor. At that time of the year, the sea around Sedgefield is around 18 degrees Celsius, and while that is still considerably warmer than the sea around her native Norway, which averages around 12 degrees Celsius, it is by no means an inviting prospect, especially considering the weather in general was not warm. By the time Marie got to the beach, it was already high tide, and there are extremely strong rip currents around my early beach. On a YouTube video I watched, which I will reference in the podcast information for this episode, a gentleman commented that the estuary near Maoli Beach, which is about five minutes walk from where she was last seen, had broken through the sand a few days before Marie's visit. The commenter suggests that if Marie had decided to walk that way, she could have easily sunk into the salt, lost her footing, and been washed away by the turbulent waters exiting the estuary. It is doubtful to me that Marie would have, at that time, gotten up from her seated position after the couple left and decided to continue walking even further down the beach into the unknown. Let's assume for a moment that Marie did somehow get into the water, become incapacitated and drowned. Would her body not have washed up by now? In all the searches of the sea around Maoli Beach and the coastline, would rescuers not have recovered her body by now? The answer is, not necessarily. That section of coastline is known for its extremely dangerous rip currents. It is also known for taking swimmers and not returning them. In 2012, a young man swimming with friends, Joss van Kerkhoff, got caught in a rip current. His friends were able to get back to the shore, but Joss drowned, and his body has never been recovered. In the same year, a Korean tourist was swimming with a friend. The tourist got into trouble in the water and drowned. He too was never seen again. A third recorded drowning at Maoli Beach occurred in 2015. In this case, the body of the German tourist was thankfully recovered. The reason for drowning victims disappearing could be as simple as the bodies being dragged out to the deep areas of the ocean and never returning to the shore, or perhaps washing up in another province or country where the body is never identified. A more frightening prospect is that of shark activity in the area. The NSRI released a warning of high shark activity along this coastline shortly before Marie's visit. Sharks and other fish, however, are sensitive to barometric pressure changes that occur during a storm and will usually flee to deeper waters where the sea is calmer. Of course we know that there was a storm the night Marie disappeared, so this could reduce the possibility of shark activity, but the storm was only starting when she was last seen sitting on the beach. The second theory is that Marie took her own life by walking out into the ocean that night. This theory is weak in my opinion. 
there is no evidence of mental health challenges in Marie's life, nor of any of her companions reported arguments or Marie being in a poor frame of mind. While we cannot gauge the mental health of an individual solely from reports of others or that a person appears happy in photographs, I am sure that Marie's family, at the very least, would have been aware if she'd been in any sort of mental health crisis. While we cannot discount this completely, this theory is very low on the list of possibilities. The third theory is that Marie was abducted, either for the nefarious purposes of her abductor or for human trafficking. South Africa has a frightening statistic of 52 murders per day. If you examine this statistic, however, most of these cases are either related to gang activity or the perpetrator is known to the victim and the murder is as a result of a crime of passion or a drug or alcohol-induced state. Of course, we cannot discount the possibility that the perpetrator may have been known to Marie, but I am certain that this would have been investigated by the police to start with. Crime in South Africa's centres is rife, but Sedgefield reports an extremely low rate of violent crime. Let us consider the possibility that an unknown person saw Marie alone on the beach and decided to abduct her. If she had continued sitting, facing the ocean, it would have been relatively easy for someone to initially approach her without noticing and perhaps disable her. The difficulty in that scenario, though, would be getting Marie to a vehicle or other secluded area without being seen. CCTV would have picked them up if they had taken her through a car park. To our knowledge, Marie never re-entered the car park area. That means that her alleged abductor would have had to either carry her or force her to walk, if she was conscious, along the beach or through the dunes, while keeping control of her and not being seen by a single person. This could be more likely achieved if there was more than one perpetrator. One could control her and the other could act as a lookout. One would think that Marie would have screamed, but even if she did, the high winds may have carried her screams away, or she may have simply decided to obey the perpetrator or perpetrators, especially if they had a weapon. I looked at a Google Earth representation of the area where Marie went missing, in an effort to ascertain how difficult it may have been to get Marie to a vehicle or a nearby second location. In my opinion, it may not have been impossible. The distance from the waterline to the area where the paths and residences begin is 100 meters. There are several paths off the beach, which lead directly to Claude Urban Avenue, which is a relatively main road through the area. If the abductor had by chance been parked somewhere on that road, but not near the bar, it may not have been impossible to get Marie off the beach and to that road. The main thing that bothers me about this theory is that these paths generally weave between the houses and other establishments, and the perpetrator would have had to be very lucky for not a single resident or person on Claude Urban Avenue to see him. Perhaps someone did, though, and didn't realize that anything bad was happening. Two people walking along a beach path would not be a strange sight, and if Marie was kept conscious but under threat due to a perpetrator having a weapon, an observer may not have noticed anything. Such a person may not have been spoken to by the police or even realized to this day that they saw Marie. The sea was immediately searched, but to my knowledge, the roads and buildings around were not searched for up to an hour and a half after Marie disappeared. And of course, private homes could not be searched without a warrant or probable cause. In a vehicle, that is sufficient time to get away. 
Two things that I would like to know is whether CCTV from private residences and other establishments further down Claude Urban Avenue was viewed, and also whether there are any license plate recognition cameras along that road that may have picked up a vehicle speeding away at that time. Again, I trust that the police have looked into these avenues. Marie's family is understandably devastated by her disappearance. It is difficult enough for a family to have a loved one go missing in an area that is close by, where they can help to search. Marie's family is 14,000 kilometers away and must feel completely helpless. Her father and sister have been very active on social media, sharing her poster and making heartbreaking pleas for her safe return. A foundation has been set up, the Missing Marie Ostbo Foundation, to help raise funds to pay for private searches and purchase equipment to help find Marie, as well as other missing people in South Africa. The family has set up a GoFundMe account for the foundation, which has raised 50,000 rand so far. There is also a Facebook page called Get Marie Home, which is also the hashtag under which social media posts can be shared. Her family believe that Marie is still alive and that she will return home. Atla Ospo has thanked the residents of Sedgefield and the citizens of South Africa for their support and assistance in trying to locate his daughter. You may note that when I describe Marie, I use the present tense. I have done this consciously, as I believe that her family are entitled to retain their hope and not have negativity take that away from them until Marie's fate is 100% confirmed. If Marie was abducted, there is a possibility that she is still alive. It is a very small possibility, but human trafficking is a reality, and so is the fact that perpetrators have, in other cases, kept their victims at a location for many years. Human trafficking for me does not seem like a major possibility, though. Marie would have been a high-risk person to take. Granted, a trafficker would have had five days to get Marie out of South Africa before missing person posters were circulated, but they would not have known that when they abducted Marie. I think that there is a risk in assuming what is possible or not by using your own logic, as you're applying the way that you think to a disturbed mind of a perpetrator. You cannot compare the two types of logic. If Marie was abducted and murdered close by, one would think that her body would have been found by now. But there have been many murder cases where remains are found months or years later in an area that was previously searched. If her body had been placed in another location, possibly extremely remote, it may never be found. This theory cannot be discounted. Marie Ostbo is a kind, friendly young lady with her entire future in front of her. She was enjoying a holiday with friends between her studies and did absolutely nothing to deserve having that taken away from her. Of course, the hope is that Marie is still alive and can be recovered safely, but the sad truth is that this is quite unlikely. Whether Marie is deceased or not, she deserves to be returned to her family. They need closure and answers. Marie's information needs to be shared internationally because we do not know whether she is still in South Africa, and the possibility remains that someone saw something, and that person may no longer be in the country either. It has been more than a year since her disappearance, but there is every possibility that this can still be resolved. We just need to get her face in front of the right person. I will post all the relevant pictures pertaining to this case on our Facebook page, and reshare Marie's missing poster on Facebook and Twitter. Please connect with us on our social media accounts and help share Marie's case 
to create awareness around her disappearance. Let's bring Marie home. Thank you for listening to Case File Number 2 at True Crime South Africa. If you'd like to hear future episodes, you can visit our website at truecrimesouthafrica.com or download episodes on Spotify or wherever you access your podcast content. As we're in the very early stages of this podcast, we appreciate any constructive feedback so that we can continue to improve this podcast for you, our valued listener. Please interact with us on our social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter or Instagram, and please review us on the podcatcher you use. I will leave a full list of resources I used to research this case in the podcast information. A huge thank you goes out to the phenomenal band Prime Circle, who granted us permission to use their song Evidence as our theme song. I look forward to chatting to you in our next episode.